What's up? This is Elia Einhorn. Welcome back to the Talk House podcast. Today I'm joined by... Hey, it's Amy Rose Spiegel, Talk House Music's Editor-in-Chief. And we have a hell of a show for you today. This is the first of two episodes that we're going to release of conversations we curated at South by Southwest. They live-streamed at the time, and now we have for you the podcast version. This first one is presented in partnership with TuneIn and the official South by Southwest Music Festival. Amy Rose, you flew down to Austin to host this talk. How was it? Well, it was totally awesome. And I know that you've been to South by before, so... The when, madness. Yes. These guys both played tons of shows. and Like came, literally 10 or something each. Yes. Totally nutty. So everybody's rushing around, set times are changing, but in the end, we got <laughs> meets in seats and the talk ended up ruling. It yes. was like a therapy session, as you'll hear. It really was. It was everything I dreamed it would be. Now, listeners... Albert Hammond Jr. was, of course, a founding guitarist of the absolute game-changing band, The Strokes, that came storming out of New York City at the turn of the millennium and have completely become synonymous with New York City cool. The Strokes were absolutely one of my favorite bands, and they've gone on to release a handful of records. Now, Albert has also released a handful of records under his own name. His latest is the solo LP, Francis Trouble. Check out this rad track, Far Away Truths. Good shit, huh? Yeah, it's awesome. Now, Albert and Andrew WK are are not only contemporaries, they came out of New York City during the aughts together. They are also old friends from the scene. And when I heard that they were both going to be down at South By, I knew we had to get them together. So Andrew WK is, of course, a total party philosopher. Right. This guy is an absolute partying polymath. Listeners, you probably know Andrew W.K. from his very popular work as sort of a hard rock god, but he's also released records of solo classical piano. He's collaborated with experimental musical ensembles. He's also hosted radio and TV shows. He's toured as a motivational speaker, and he's even been recognized as a prominent mental health advocate. Most important, he believes that you should party everything you do, whether that's proposing marriage or eating a cheeseburger. He is the true conduit to what he calls the party gods. I'll tell you a funny story quickly, ARS. The recessional to my own wedding was It's Time to Party by Andrew W.K. <laughs> oh my God, that's so perfect. Yeah. So you were really going with his idea that you should party all your way through marriage. Like, I that's party. Sick. <laughs> totally. That's awesome. I aspire to that. That's relationship goals. <laughs> so Andrew W.K.'s most recent release is You're Not Alone, which came out in March. And in a press release about this, W.K. stated, which you love, Elliot. Do you want to read this quote? Sure. I loved this. I, I thought it really summed up the soul of this record. He said, I'm going for the sound of pure, unadulterated power. Every emotion, every thought, every experience, every sensation, every fear, every joy, every clarity, every confusion, every up, every down, all extruded and concentrated into one thick syrup of super life force feeling and then psychically amplified by the celebratory spirit of glorious partying. Now, one thing that's really cool about this record is it actually features inspirational quotes interspersed through the songs. I mean, I was inspired by that alone. Yeah. <laughs> He's really good at what he does. 
Let's play my favorite track from this new record. This is Music is Worth Living For. Very rad. Very rad. Now, these two cohorts cover a lot. They really dive into curating the live experience for their fans. They talk about how to build tension, the importance of a sense of possibility that that the unexpected could happen at any moment. They get into the artistic benefits and drawbacks of audiences using camera phones and what they call the noble challenge of playing South by Southwest sets. They talk about how Albert Hammond Jr. created an alter ego, Francis Trouble, for this record and who the fuck that is. (laughs) They also get into the joys of picking one's nose. They talk about glow-in-the-dark condoms. How Albert's dog informed the naming of his alter ego. How Japan definitely needs Shit That Didn't Work by Albert Hammond Jr. as a bonus track release. (laughs) And we hear, of course, all about the party gods. So should we party this podcast? Let's do it. Party on. Oh, all right. So it really is unmoderated. Thank you for the introduction. Well, Albert, welcome to this area. (laughs) They just put us up here. Yeah, this is nice, though. And I apologize for not only the aroma, but also the moisture, the bacteria, the viruses. I just came from stage. No, I I heard sweat is very clean. Well, I do believe it's Mother Nature's built-in bathing system. And that you don't need to shower when you perspire instead, because it does wash. So we're in semi-agreement. In, yeah, from the inside out. <laughs> but out of consideration for you, I did want to acknowledge that it's um, it's an an aroma, and I think when you have an aroma that's bad, you call it an odor. It's true. Now your new album, I believe our albums have come out around the same time. When was yours yeah. released? Uh, almost a week ago, March 9th. When when did yours come out? March second. Wow, actually, yeah, that's a, pretty much exactly the same time. Well, about a week apart, though, I think. Almost exactly seven days. And I was trotting down the lane on my way here, and I happened to glance downward, um, and I noticed on the the sidewalk there was a a, a stencil that said, who the swear word, you know, F, is Francis Trouble. And I, I'm curious to, to, to know myself. So please tell, tell me and tell everyone here, who is this Francis Trouble that did, you named your you new really, album after? Did you really see that? I not only saw it once, I saw it several times. Because I have yet to see one. There's a lot of these stencils. Now, I'm not saying that you're responsible for it. because I didn't do it. The city of Austin would like to blame someone. <laughs> but they can blame Francis Trouble, which is not you. No, it's not me. It's, uh, it's an alter ego I created. Oh, okay to, um, I guess, best showcase the music on stage. I felt like my name, the baggage my name carried for myself and for people coming just wasn't what I wanted to present. And so creating a character and and filling it with different versions of myself and allowing it to be a little more free than the person that has grown up as me uh, has, I don't know, led to a better show. Mm. You know, and, and how did you come upon that name, Francis? I always liked it. I think maybe from Frank Black. Ah, Black was, Francis. Yeah, right. Now he had two different names that would alternate. Right, he could either be Frank Black or Black Francis. Yeah, was that considered an alter ego? Is his real name Frank Black? 
I don't know. Yeah, good I never, question. I, uh, it's an intense name either way, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. And what about the trouble? What is all this trouble? I mean, it started as a joke with, um, with my dog. She was walking down the street. And I just, she's a little dog, but she was walking like she owned the pavements. And I was just singing, trouble was the name that she gave me. And it just sounded like, um, I don't know, it was just funny. You followed your intuition. You know, and it just, it sat there. The thing with, with it, like creating it, things sit there. And then when the time's right, you pull them in and they just, they create something new. And so the, the name kind of sat there and it had, it was like, oh, I'll do trouble productions. And that was what I'd produced under. Mm. And then... The idea for alter ego, and then I found out a bunch about my stillborn twin. Oh, that I had. I was a twin, but my aunt told me that uh, that I had like we must have collided or something. There was like a fingernail and just oh. parts on my placenta. Like and when, oh. when I came out, and I had no idea about any of that. No, I knew that I had a twin that died at five months, but I had no idea that um, that there was like leftover, like a shipwreck, <laughs> leftover pieces, debris. Uh, yeah, debris. Yeah, and uh, and so this the name all of a sudden made sense with the alter ego. Mm. So I like I relate to what you said about developing an idea or even an, an idea develops itself for you, and then Over you time, wait. Yeah. yeah, and then there's a time when it becomes uh, proper for it to uh, to assert itself to some degree. Now, yeah. did you have any reservations or doubts involved with that title or or? Any, any of the aspects, because also the album cover artwork is quite striking. There's a, I don't know if infinite regression is the right word, but there's a, re, a repeating uh, high contrast uh, image of you with your arms crossed. Yes. And in white jeans. That then, no black jeans. Oh, was it? Oh. I do wear white jeans on stage oh, though. Maybe, so. that, maybe that's what it was. Okay, I guess it was. The type is in white. Is that right? No, it's in red. Oh, <laughs> But it could have been in white in like a poster thing you saw. I think I've seen posters yeah, 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 in yeah. Japan. Yeah, yeah. Was it a red shirt at least? It was a red shirt, oh, yeah. thank goodness. Okay. <laughs> then I would think I was going completely insane. What are you talking about? So tell me about that album cover because it's a great maneuver. You know, anytime you take an image and repeat it, it intensifies. And then you repeat it again, it intensifies it. If you layer into itself, repeating into itself, it, it, it's powerful. It's memorable. Yeah. Well, I, I guess mean, not that memorable for my own fault. But I think I saw a <laughs> hey, variation. you remember the red shirt? <laughs> I, saw, I saw a variation of it. Uh, so I forgive myself. But please, tell us about the, the album cover. Um, yeah, it's just, uh, it's, it was designed by uh, Liz Hirsch. And it's multiple drawings of me with my arms crossed. It's a, it's a photo that... My wife took me at my house. I just got out of the shower and I was doing different faces and I was just like, oh, it's, it's got to be, all the faces have to be like in motion. This record, this character is like, he's in motion. He's never smiling or serious. Mm. And she just caught a good face with kind of like a Billy Idol meets Elvis look mm-hmm. and, uh, and sent it to the person and she drew it. And um, yeah, I don't know. It just went into, she put it into multiple things, multiple times over each other and it just seemed to work more than the single than just the one cover i knew i wanted it drawn because there was something that seemed like it would be how would i put it i don't know i just i imagined it to be like uh something if you were in, in high school you would you you know draw the name in the desk or something you know like francis trouble here to help you kind of thing. <laughs> Did you ever have nicknames for yourself growing up, sort of an imaginary friend that you yourself could be? 
Oh, that's a good question. Well, alter ego, I guess, but maybe not as developed sure. or coherent as the idea of an alter ego. I mean, I was an only child and I spoke to myself a lot, mm. many conversations. Uh, I don't know if it was, I feel like I just spoke to my shadow, really. Were you aware that you were speaking to yourself? Not until much older, no. And do you think some of the textures that were involved in those kinds of experiences young have carried over now and are being reflected in this album specifically, or does it seem detached? Wow. No, actually, I, I feel it's exactly that. I feel like all these moments when I was younger, these peaks, if you will, of these times when I was younger, very powerful moments have kind of culminated into a record. Mm, wow. Yeah. Now, you had made solo albums before, though. Yeah, this is my fourth one. So then I'm catching up to you. Well, <laughs> I, you know, you have. I think you can count the band albums as albums too. So you're way ahead in that regard. You've been very prolific, and it's it's very admirable. What would you say though that those other solo efforts did not come from that uh, or emerge from that that deep well that this one emerged from? I mean, subconsciously it might have hit it accidentally because it's still me, but it was very. It felt very different. Those other four, um, I really didn't know which direction uh, was pointing. I just was trying to do stuff, and I just knew. I just like different tasks in front of me. And there's still really cool things about those records in that. But this one was definitely the first one that, that had uh, such a purpose to it, you know, and uh, an identity of what it would be even performed like before he was even finished a, f a complete vision yeah yeah for sure now when you're recording or writing songs or let's just focus on this album since it's the most current how do you come up with your chord changes how do you come up with the 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 musical element that might underlie and give structure to the rest of the song i mean it it, it comes in steps that you're always creating little bits and so I have a dictaphone with stuff and eventually you come home and you have some time and you feel like um, you know what you were missing from the set list or what you want different on your set and you start listening to songs and uh, Gus Oberg who produced and engineered my record uh, he'll come up and do demos with me and we'll just start kind of like Imagine if it's like a little piece and you're spreading it out like butter on bread and you're trying to figure out how much is going to reach where. And uh, the songs can change in that. And that's where all the stuff happens, all the movements, really. So you'll really respond to what you see as a void in the live performance and say, I need a moment like this or I need a feeling like this that doesn't exist yet. That's what has happened recently. That like that I've come home and this record is definitely like what I felt was missing. And what would it be? Is something as simple as I need a really fast song, or I need a really heavy song, or sure, samba, they can... mambo. <laughs> I mean, you can have <laughs> that'd be good. You have all the ideas. It doesn't mean that they're always the song is always going to be that song that's missing. It's just it just helps define stuff when creating can just go endlessly on top of each other when you're trying to edit something um, and know which direction it might be going into you can kind of tell you know certain songs become more exciting to you because you feel like you might need them more you how, know how many songs did you set aside or even throw away we uh, we recorded 12 and kept 10 
Oh, wow. Um, we might have had a few extra that never made it past the first stage. What, why, what happened in those last two? Um, they just didn't, they were, they were fine. They're great songs. They just, the record as a whole was better without them. There you go. Well, that's real <laughs> editing. That's real <laughs> yeah. discipline. Yeah, I just, I'd felt like that, I'd learned that the hard way when I'd lived with stuff and I'd been like, oh man, just the record. I mean, I loved this song, but the record would have been better without it. And Restraint. So, yeah. Yeah, that's it's a, really hard to do. A lot of discipline that usually can only be learned the hard way. Yeah, by leaving too many songs on a record. Yeah, and there always can be bonus tracks. Yeah, yeah. You yeah, know, no one's know. saying that they can't be bonus tracks. Yeah. There's, there isn't anyone saying they can't be bonus tracks. No, right? no, one, okay. no one told me they couldn't be bonus okay. tracks. Well, that's good, because in Japan, <laughs> you yeah, need bonus Japan. tracks. Uh, I mean, there's so many little things now, too. There's Record Store Day, there's, mm-hmm. there's Japan bonus tracks, there's just, you know, later on, like a little, you could even have extra and make an EP after it yes, comes out. Yes, you could. Out. Yes, you, you know? could. Now, are you going to the be... shit that didn't work. By Albert Hammond yeah, Jr. Yeah, but then, well, but then that could be the best album. No, no, of course. What I've a often, great 15 minutes. <laughs> I've often, well, you only have 15 minutes of stuff that didn't work? No, less. It's only two songs, so it's like eight minutes. That's very intimidating. <laughs> <laughs> Would you rather be very, very prolific and have a huge quantity of material over, let's say, just pick a span of time, the next 20 years, or have one, the greatest thing you've ever made? that will be the greatest thing you ever get to make occur in the next 20 years? Wow, it's so... Well, I don't know. You don't have to... It's, I feel like... No, I, heard this, I heard this noise and I feel like it was in my head like in a movie, like the soundtrack. I think it's it the clarion like, call. It was like very intense. Or Armageddon. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's... I mean, would the... Doing multiple things, would they just be mediocre? Is that what you're saying? Possibly. Or, or as, a, as a whole, like you might be able to take a whole album's worth out of it. I was thinking about filmmakers who make very few films. Now, yeah. one, films can take a very long time sure. just technically to produce. But there also seems to be an awareness of the brevity of life the the legacy that you're leaving you know these are things i never thought about before because i just only saw forward and what we were doing right then in the, in the moment and didn't think about well there'll be a time when i can't do anything else and i'm not around to do anything else what will i have left and you think about people that have made where every piece stands on its own and there's no bad stuff you know it's all up for debate but in my opinion someone's sure. work is it's so compelling and that they had the foresight and the maturity at the beginning to be aware of that. Now, maybe they had a mentor, someone explained and really drove it home, like everything's got to be good, everything's counts, there's no room for improvement, oh, I'll figure it out later, oh, that one wasn't so good, let's just get it done because I have other things I'd rather be doing, that this is your chance to exist, and you're going to get to make some things, what is it going to be? Man, I want that mentor that you just said right there. I I think it's the party gods. (laughs) Well, I wish they would have told me this 20 years ago, you know? Because they probably were trying to, and I said, ah, don't worry yeah, about that later. What are you later. talking about? Yeah, you shut up, you know? I mean, when you say it like that, definitely the, the one. The one right. great thing. And then maybe, I'd, you know, you go do something else. Retire. I mean, I don't know about retire. You, gotta, you still have to well, find some kind of meaning. You leave on a high note. I feel like, sure. Right. I just, if I didn't, retire to me seems like, um, it's like when you get asked to think about what you've accomplished it almost feels like you're already dead. <laughs> you know, the great like, thing about retiring, and I've only seen this because of other people doing it, is that yeah. you can come out of retirement, and that's the most dramatic <laughs> thing. And you can do it multiple times, and each time it's even more intense. I know, but you have to, you have to keep 
Is you it, have to do that. It almost seems like like the encore now. It's kind yeah, of like but that but it, people like, like they're it. going away. It's right, drama. Like it's it. yeah, theatrics. Like it. It's it's James Brown saying I can't go. I can't go. You know that he's going to do that. Yeah, you know he's got twenty minutes left. Yeah, but it's still exciting. <laughs> and you want that that, that I have reveal. a hard time debating that though. I have a hard time. Do you have a hard time with that? With that, like on stage, you have your set list. Do you have a set encore? Oh yeah. To me, the set is locked. I don't like any flexibility. No, right, but I'm saying... Set encore, yeah. So you oh, know well, you're you going mean, Even off, if the crowd doesn't cheer for it. Well, no, I mean, you, they're kind of going to cheer for it, right? I oh, yeah, like. yeah. And I'll wait. I'll wait. I'll say... <laughs> it's, it's, it's up to them. You know, that's, that's the one part of the show that, you're right, isn't accounted for 100%. There is some... But what if you put songs... That's what I'm saying. What if sometimes I put like my... Great, yeah, like a, that's like, their loss. Because <laughs> I, I learned this from other people where... Where we've had a great show, and of course we expect to do the encore, and, and you wait, and you wait, and no, we're not going to do it. Because then there needs to be that sense of possibility that it might not happen. And I know exactly what you're saying. If, the, if it becomes such a tradition, and I guess you have to establish that with your audience over a period of time, where they know that there's a possibility that you might not come back out. Because then it really is up to them. And I've been at shows where I cheered and cheered and cheered and cheered, and they didn't come out. Yeah, I've been at those shows too. And it was, yeah. all, it was actually kind of, it was the thing I remember most about the show. Yeah. And if everyone was just, okay, we don't have to really clap that hard because surely they'll come out. And then they did. It was kind of, you know, the show had kind of already... It, so it, how long do you wait then? Um, well, I wait. So <laughs> well, I have a very specific strategy at this okay. point where we let... There's a big cheer. Now, people are usually exhausted at this point. Sure. The audience is exhausted. So, and we are too. So we recover. Then we listen. We let one drop, one cheer, to then it dies down. Ah. They're resting. Their hands are bruised. You know, maybe even blistered and bloodied from all the clapping sure, of throughout the whole show. Their voices are hoist. Their calves are inflamed. <laughs> They're lying down at this point. They may. They may. And so you want to give them at least 15, 30 seconds to lay down. Then they remember that they're at a show. They can still cheer. They pop back up. They start to cheer again. You let that one fall off. Two dies. Yeah, two dies. Wow. And then, are you? How, what are you feeling like backstage? I feel like by like, two coming, I feel like I don't know what's yeah. going to happen if it's going to happen. I do. I feel like maybe I made a big mistake. What was <laughs> okay, I thinking? Like, we should have just, just gone right sure. back out. Maybe we shouldn't have even done an encore at all. Just finished the whole show, and then you, you wait for that third one. And then by the time that third one comes in, you're really feeling excited too because you're waiting for them to tell you that you get to go. I'm excited. You're finish. just talking about it. Oh. So yeah, three, three. By the third one. But even that third one has to really, it has to be that one that, that, that goes where people really commit. And there's that usually a, a, a chant or some kind of clap along. And no tricks, no like light. Because uh, I sometimes would do well, that. I'd be like, oh, just put one light if it doesn't come back on and it kind of like. You, so you have more resources. It inflames the crowd. I, if, if I had a lighting guy, then I would try I have all a lighting kind of wife. <laughs> well, <laughs> even better. Even better, because then you can have a more intimate understanding a cell phone. of these What's things. What's going on out there? <laughs> <laughs> do something, damn it. <laughs> Flash a light, I don't know. Uh, Help well, me out. It's such, there's so much great tension I'm, at I'm that gonna moment. I'm going to try that, though, because I honestly, I'm, I'm asking you sincerely, because I, yeah. I question it's it, fascinating. and, and I want to jump. As soon as it's loud, I'm like, go right out, right, go right, right out, right, hurry right. up. But then I you feel gotta like... You got to hold back. You got you to gotta let it sizzle. I want to be like in Braveheart, where he's like waiting. You know? Yeah, you got to wait. It's, I it's, need my Andrew holding me back. That tension, that is, that, that's an, raw energy. Yeah. Right. You know, and you want to always encore. Yeah, manipulate the tension, amplify the tension, conjure up the tension if it's not there. How can we create cuz the tension is friction is energy. That's 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 what the show has to well, have. I feel that during the show. Like I right. feel like you go into a room and let's say it's cold and people don't know if they want to move yet. Right. Cross and arms. You're trying to like no, show yeah. them how free you feel so that they start feeling freer. Mm -hmm. And then you build up the energy in that way. Right. Um 
that's I don't know the, my question that well, that's I was the base do, level of that's the establishment tension because that's going into an unknown situation and that's going to be tense no matter what. Well, I mean, maybe there are certain performers where, again, I think they're they're kind of losing out if everyone's already at ten when the show starts. Where can you go? You have to have some some deficit to start with to then. No, I think that's worse up. because then everyone gets really drained. That's what I'm saying. And then you yeah. end the set and it's almost like 10. oh the the show started like this was the best show ever and it right. ended like. Has to Not start kind of rough. That's yeah. why I always really liked bands that played, came out with a kind of a weak song. I was always fascinated by that. <laughs> and, and because no matter what you, if you, when yeah, I would go to see a I concert. The first song everyone's going to cheer the loudest. Yeah, who exactly, cares what you play? Exactly. I always say that. So you really take advantage of that and, and you kind of tweak. It's like, oh, well, this is how it's starting. Okay. And, but it's still exciting. And it's all that the sound hits, the lights hit, the presence of the, the, the band being up there is all happening. So you can get away with even two songs like that. And then just when you're starting to wear out that welcome, then you can actually play, now, I wouldn't say a good song, but you can play a song that maybe people would have expected to be the first song and, and take it again. Sure. You know, and all of that counts. And, and going back to the encore, sometimes if you play the song that people would have expected to be the encore song, you can create a lot of mystery too. If you play it earlier in the set or like if you don't song. play it, then they know that that's going to be the encore. Unless there's a unless the band is a contrarian kind of group and they intentionally don't play the song everybody likes, which no, I don't really like I, that though. Yeah, I don't I mean, care. You, I'm glad you, you're you don't still like doing. That. I feel like it, no matter what it is, part of it is still entertainment. So you can't you can't take that away from it. I mean, well, some still, do, and they really pride themselves on it. Yeah, I don't know. know that, who I don't they know if are. you can be. I don't know if that's like a prideful well, they're thing. they're proud. <laughs> that's exactly why they won't play it, because they're too proud to play the song that everyone wants them to hear. But you know what? In a strange way... But it's the best time to play it. The song you hate, the best time is when the whole crowd is loving it. You're never going to get a better time to play a song you don't like than when everyone's loving it. Well, tell that to these people yeah, okay, next time I'll you see them, because you'll probably see them sooner than I will. In a strange way, they actually are playing it, and they're playing it even louder by not playing it. Right. You know? But they don't realize that. Oh, I try to get it deep. through to them, you know, and... They, don't, they won't listen to Reason. They won't listen to anybody, which is why they won't play it. <laughs> well, then they're not going to listen to us then. Yeah, well, definitely not, not going to listen to me. It's not going to work. No, they definitely oh, don't listen good. to me. But I wouldn't listen to them either, so, you know, I so can fair see where trade, right? Yeah, exactly. But how do you feel in, like, South by Southwest shows? You don't get sound check. Everything's a little uh, strange. Yes, that's a, that, those are challenging. It's a, that, that, it's a noble challenge. Uh, because I feel that we should be able to do these kinds of shows. Part of me thinks we shouldn't even bother to play a show that we can't do the best job that we can. But really, I know that the, the, the great performers can do anything with, with, with anything. Do nothing with nothing. I know, but doesn't that make Something you partly realize that you're just slightly, the sadness comes in that you're, for me, not a great performer. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and I have to accept that and then try to get better. Yeah. You know? Okay. No, we're fine. That's cause Real talk. <laughs> Real talk. Yeah, and I'm, I'm aware of that. And that's what the, where the real pain comes in. And, and you think, you know, what, what can you work with? What, can you, what do you have to offer? It, it, uh, and I think sometimes we actually will have the greatest shows with the most compromises because not that the pressure is off in a way, but you're liberated from some of the, the, the traditions or the constraints that you normally would rely on for a good show like lights and, and, and great sound and all that sound check time. Sure. So what are you left with? You're really only left with what you can do right in the midst of it to salvage it. And the worst case is it's just an awful show and, and everyone that was there despises you forever. Then that is the worst case. Yeah, you when know. you say it like that, though, it doesn't sound that bad. It's not. <laughs> no, I'm serious. 
No, actually, uh, thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. I, I, uh, I feel like I, I feel like I needed that. I got. I don't know if you remember, but I remember how. But I got your email because I was reading somewhere you were responding to. I want to say kids to just different subjects, and it was so good. And then I wanted to actually email you about stuff I was thinking. You wanted to ask me for advice. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, and it was. Uh, yeah, I, I, I feel like you're. What was it? My my question? Yeah. I don't know. It's probably some something to do with family, or I think you were oh. talking about something like that. You know, my parents were, were going through some weird stuff. So it was just like, I, I don't remember the question, and it feels mildly awkward at best to. Just write in. <laughs> just write, write you know. in. Write in like everybody else did. And don't put your name on it. You know, keep it anonymous. Don't put my name on it? Well, you know, if, if, to preserve your own sense of privacy oh, and right, dignity right. for yourself. All right. But what if I was just sending it to you and you were just responding to me? Still, just keep it in. <laughs> So send it through a different email then. Yeah. This is, it's I'll not, still be able clearly to tell. it's not Albert Hammond Jr. <laughs> There's no way he would, his, that would be his email. Well, thank you for even thinking of, of asking me that. And, and, and thanks for no, not putting you're... me on the spot and asking no. Oh, good. Yeah. So mutual. Yeah. I understand that from what I was told, you have to be on your way in about 15 minutes. And from what I was told, there is a moderated Q&A portion. So should we move on to that? So that we don't lose you? Yeah, okay. sure. He's amazing at holding court. I moderated it anyway. Yeah, you yeah. know, that's what I just yeah. moderated. I just wanna I just like wanna hang out. I moderated it. So, okay. Um I hope that when this ends we can give them three rounds of applause and maybe you'll stay with us and not go to your commitment or whatever. But Whoa. really fantastic, <laughs> you guys. Thank you. So I was telling Albert that we got this great question from misplaced fifty one fifty. And this person wanted to know, what was the last thing that you did for the first time? That's such an excellent question. I told her it was one to take home. <laughs> oh, really? You, already got, like, you got this in advance? Well, I mean, barely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. If it makes you feel any better, I'd have no answer okay, to well, it. Okay, well, I'm going to come up with an answer then, just to spite you. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Um... Okay, well, I went, to the, uh, I went to this hotel. There, done. <laughs> First time I've been here. And that's the, that's the most accurate thing. We accept it on a technicality. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Just to get through with that one, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, and I'm sure that you wanted to think about yours and come back to it. Oh, so what was it again? The, you the were last thing I did for the first time? I was talking yeah. about motorcycles. It doesn't have to be a good answer like the one I did. You could just say something. <laughs> you real, can just say something that's true. Real ordinary, yeah. Can I just say the hotel then? I took this breath. Yeah, you can say mine. Yeah. So yeah. Oh, that's a good one. I took this breath. I'll take <laughs> yeah, that but one. You've I taken breaths before. Okay. But not like this. Okay. <laughs> I have really fresh breath. Okay. okay, okay, fine. Because you guys are being accurate but not truthful, you're getting another hardball from oh. Amandara45, who wants to know do you have any weird habits? Weird? Uh, yeah, what's weird? They all seem real ordinary. Picking my fingernails, picking my nose. Uh, oh, picking your nose is great. Yeah, of course. Not in you know in private. <laughs> and, and I and I wash my hands, you know, from time to time. You do? Well, actually, because I got an eye infection uh, a few weeks ago, and I read because mm. my manager said it's because you got poop in your eye, and I said I don't think <laughs> said that I don't think that's that that just seemed too extreme. So I looked it up. <laughs> And then it said that it could be caused from the bacteria in your nose. I said, well, there you go, because I was probably having the time of my life picking my nose, <laughs> just back at it, 
and then scratch my eye. And I realized I did that all the time. And that's almost a habit of, of th- going from those two places back to back. And finally, I learned my lesson. I got a really bad eye infection. It lasted for a whole week. And I still have remnants of it. And now I don't dare touch my eyes when they itch. I keep my hands away. Because as I say, keep your hands away from your face and wash them a lot. So I'm trying to learn how to do that kind of stuff. Well, you travel a lot, but I really do think the lesson here is that you need to eat your boogers. Like, I've done that like, too. I think that could be it. But sometimes they're so salty that even I get a little grossed out by this. <laughs> this, is not, this is not right. If it's more clean and clear, less infected, you know, if the, if the mucus isn't so dark, it, it, it doesn't, it tastes a bit, it's more close to saliva probably. But when the dead skin cells are so pungent and it's crunchy and all that, it's, you can just tell it's not the right thing to do. Word. <laughs> So, okay, um, what, is your, <laughs> what is your weird habit? Um, uh, I mean, I don't, know if it's, precedent here. I don't know if it's weird. It might be, could be annoying to some. I, um, I put things away. I'm, I'm very neat. Well, that's, that's an admirable trait as, as, as a virtue. I don't think that's a habit. Well, well it's if just, you make a habit of a virtue, then you're quite advanced. Uh, it's just, uh, I mean, okay, um, I don't know if I have a choice. I grind my teeth, but that's not really... I don't know if I, you can't really choose. Is that to a do habit? That. Yeah, I don't know. Do you do it in your sleep? I do it all the time. Really? Like, yeah. okay, we have to get you a retainer or something. I have one. That would look great. Like, just no, it does not. A retainer, <laughs> crushing it. <laughs> you have one? I do, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it glow in the dark? That was always my favorite. I didn't even that know one. that was an option. That Dude, been, I'm telling you, you got to step it up. That would have been like, glow sweet. glow in the dark retainer is tight. That reminds me of that movie Skin Deep. You ever see that? Yeah, yeah. With the cockfight? Ritter, yeah. John Ritter movie. John Ritter movie. It was just about a single man in his, or divorced man in his late 40s. Is that how old he's it meant to be in that movie? Because I, I, I really know. wonder. I was so young. I so think, I think maybe he's, he's actually, 30. I think he's probably <laughs> yeah. like 32. I think I was like 12 when I saw it. All I remember is that they had glow-in-the-dark condoms and these two guys come in. Well, this guy, he's having sex with this girl and her ex-boyfriend comes in or boyfriend and the lights get turned off and they have uh, a fight, but it's just their two dicks because it's glow-in-the-dark condoms. Lightsabers. It's, Star it's Wars amazing. It's very amazing. Crude. Very crude it's, movie. It's a great movie. I have to see it. Yeah. Sick. I got shown some movies John like Ritter would not want you to see it, but he's no longer with us, so he can't stop. Really? You would think he wouldn't want you to see he, it? He apparently felt, had mixed feelings about it, which I wish he hadn't because I felt, too, that he should be real proud of it. Yeah, I thought it was hilarious. People gave him a hard time about it. It was always brought up like as a gotcha question interviews wish you hadn't done that right john and he, really? he would take it well and be very self you know thought it was cooler than three deprecating company. well now those are fighting words <laughs> if i had to pick one between one of those i would pick three's company over skin deep <laughs> i don't know I, f- I feel like that is a weird thing that happens where people make this like strange and original work and then get knocked for it like but you never know how it's there's so many factors in doing something like that, you know, from reading a script to seeing how it's going to be oh, I turned out. I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine. how it's going to be edited to how it's, you know, you could have a terrible thing all the way and end up with something pretty great. You and have a great opposite, thing yeah. and just have it be terrible. That's what's so scary about the idea of these actors. Yeah. They have no idea what it's going to be. They just do the best they can and it's all, well, unless they're somehow more deeply involved, but I think it's, it must be brutally painful to have to yeah. let go. That's what they're. That's part of their skill. That's one of the things they bring to the table is that yeah. ability to let go. I feel like in all fields of entertainment, we were just talking about that. Yeah, but we have more control. It's true. A lot more. But that also can hurt more too. It can, but <laughs> it, to, to me, it feels good to at least think that I can 
make something and see it through all the way. Yeah, that's true. And to to give all of yourself to someone else, like a director or the writer. You know, to not write your. It'd be like you going showing up and that's singing weird. without knowing what the music was, not yeah, hearing the chord changes. They just sing these lyrics. We'll put the melody in afterwards. We'll, we'll, we're actually going to rearrange the lyrics. See, that'd be weird for me because I just didn't even fall in love with music with that idea. Mm. So I fell in love with it with the idea of, you know, singing what you create. Yeah, right. right so right. it's like that would be very strange. Yeah. Yeah. This is a question from me, and then we'll take one from the audience. But given that. You two make music as solo artists. How much of yourself do you feel like when you're on stage? Do you feel like the person who is walking around in the world, or do you feel like there's a separate iteration of identity there? Well, you have addressed this very specifically. Um, but, be, but aside from Francis Trouble, did let's go before this album. Yeah. Before you did in- invent this alter ego. I mean, I would say there's part of me that's extremely honest on stage and parts that are maybe in the moment and still parts of me but aren't aren't a day-to-day me but I also felt like I would get into character when I was 15 when I showed up to a place not even like mentally being someone else but you're just it's different than being my friend and I always had this joke we'd be hanging out at the house and then we you know before we walked in we're like all right get into character like just pretending that we're going to have to face something. So I feel like as soon as you're faced with people looking at you, you change a little bit. Mm. Um, sometimes, though, I, fi- I found moments. I was on opening for The Killers. I mean, this big arena. And for like, I don't know, 10 minutes, I felt so vulnerable, but I didn't care about it. And I felt so me, just like me, if I was looking in the mirror, like naked at myself. And I, it felt so good. And weirdly got there through this character. So it was weird to sit there because I was almost like... This was recent. Yeah, I was almost seeing me, but from like... Mm. From behind. What did you look like? Very handsome. <laughs> uh, no, I just, it just felt I'd never... Whatever was being released in my brain it had never been released because I just... I felt uh, triumphant. You know, just from every pore of my body just felt correct. I don't even know if that even makes sense. Like You can't explain those feelings. I wish you could. It just felt uh, as perfect as you could be. I'm really wow. happy you had that. Yeah, that's a high and point. Then, yeah. <laughs> Sounds nice. And then, <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Yeah, I flew too close to the sun. Yeah. The shoot won't open. Come down for the rest of your life. <laughs> Welcome to my life, Andrew. I'll answer that very quickly with just, I don't enjoy thinking of separation between activities or identity. I just don't find it. Um, I find it interesting to an extent, but I don't relate to it in a way that uh, makes me seek out that perspective. So I find it stressful. Um, I don't even like to think of doing different activities. I just it, it, It's one solid experience called not being dead, and that's all it needs to be. But like you said, there's different modes of behavior required for different tasks. And just like I always think of athletes, a basketball player like LeBron James is going to use himself for a different end on the court than he would hanging out with his grandmother. Sure. Um, and, and that's where I can see there's, you're trying to do the best with what the situation is. And if the situation is being on stage, there's going to be different behaviors that are called upon. 
And you have to be able to rise to do that too. It's just like there might be a really hard tragedy you have to go through and you, you modulate and, and bring out the, the skills and the, the qualities of character to approach that. Um, but thinking of it, I understand in, in, in entertainment there is a great tradition of uh, identity and playing with it um, and, and, and inventing it, reinventing it. And to me, it's all about an, the end. The end result is, is this feeling, much like the feeling you described actually having. I can see that, in, especially with your description, somewhere up on this mountain peak, and I'm still trying to climb there. Music is one way to get towards there, and even talking like we're doing is another way to get there, and living and having experiences and, and contemplating them is, is a way to approach this place of pure understanding and truth. But it's all one effort, and with different paths and different tools, but all one effort to get to that pinnacle peak and then come down the other side. Wow, I like that. In despair. Amazing. I mean... <laughs> I feel like I want to go run a marathon after this. This is very sick. So I'd love to take a question from the audience if we have any. So you guys were talking about like being an actor and working with filmmakers and like letting go of, I don't know, yourself or like giving yourself to someone else. Do you think it's harder being a musician, like completely trusting yourself? And how is it still a struggle to know when to complete an album and know when it's time to stop and like trusting yourself to make that judgment? I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll be very brief. I'm a very bad actor, but I love working with people that direct me in anything because then I don't have to be my own director because I'll be quite hard on myself and get quite frustrated. And if I can say someone else said, that's great, it's done. The level of satisfaction and fulfillment from that kind of interaction and that relationship is, is profound. So direction in life is amazing to have, whether it's coming from you or the gods or someone in a chair telling you, now do it again. Oh, a little bit more like this. I mean, that's just, there's nothing more satisfying than that. And, and as you said, yeah, not having that or having to bring that about by yourself or by following intuition is quite challenging, but it is in there. It just, it doesn't come as, as coherently as the voice of someone with a megaphone. Yeah, I feel like I've been lucky to surround myself with, uh, with people that I trust. And um, when I if I feel like I've lost direction or I might be fearing or, or whatever, I kind of bounce off of them and I kind of like can feel where I am. Because like you said, I can, be, I can be too hard on myself to the point where like it doesn't make sense. Life's got to be you know, better than, than how you would beat yourself up, the inner you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it's just not worth it. So yeah, just, just the people that I've, that I've surrounded myself with. Incredible. So we're going to take one more, um, and we'll take it over here. Awesome. I'm glad you guys answered a lot of questions about performing live. I'm a live music fan. Something that's near and dear to my heart and I want to speak to is uh, people with their phones at concerts lately. Uh, I've been to a lot of Andrew WK shows. There's not a lot of time to have your phone up in the air. You're going to lose it in about 30 seconds. (laughs) The only time I saw The Strokes was a couple of South Bys ago, and I had... um, partaking in all the free drinks I could have that day, so I was uh, sitting down, so I didn't really get a seat. <laughs> but at many other shows, I find myself trapped behind somebody who's more concerned about telling other people who aren't there what they're doing than enjoying what they're doing in the moment. I'm wondering if on stage, if you can tell the difference in a crowd when they're on their phones trying to record you, taking a trash video that has garbage audio that they're going to maybe post on the internet or maybe just delete. And with that is there a way that we can create some sort of movement from artists, big and small, 
to just get fans to live in the moment and put their phones away and enjoy the show that we all paid good money to come and uh, be a part of the performance. Well, first of all, Ozzy, good to see you. I'm familiar with this gentleman. Just saw him yesterday at our signing and seen him many times uh, over the years and very passionate partier. So thank you. Good to see you as well. Good to see you. Yes. Well, actually, just the show I just came from, there was a moment where uh, I found one of our guitar picks on the stage and I was going to hand it to someone right in the front row. And the first gentleman that I offered it to was looking at a device and wasn't even able to receive it. So I gave it to the person next to him, who was very happy. But the person didn't even realize that he had the, missed the opportunity, and maybe he wouldn't have cared, which is why he was even looking at his device in the first place. I'm well aware of the phenomenon you're talking about. I do consider ourselves fortunate that um, our shows are rowdy enough, or there's just some atmosphere where it doesn't, it's not very conducive to that. But I gotta admit, I'm very happy to then after a show go and say, oh, let's see how the show was and see look, all these people captured and here's some great photos and wow, this is an amazing video. Look, look, oh, we can really see how that... Now, we could do that ourselves and we have. We had a tradition for many years where we would put a camera at the soundboard and we would watch the show afterwards and analyze and practice and say, oh, wow, that didn't work or that we should do that more and so on. So documenting, I don't mind. But if it's documenting as you're describing to, to get that gets so out of hand that someone is not present... That's not my place to say. I don't feel comfortable telling people what they should or shouldn't do at my show. Um, I want to create something that's so intense that they can't do that, much like you're saying, like it wouldn't occur to them. Um, and if it goes that direction or that's the, the wave of the future, I'm, I'm, I'm very skeptical of that as well. I think these, this is an infatuation that, that people have right now with a certain type of power to experience things in a different way. And I have to be very careful personally to judge too critically or to, to, to certainly think about it deeply but not to rest on that this is bad or even necessarily good just to let this play out a little bit more because it's so new you know what i mean and it reminds there's great traditions such as the grateful dead where people would go to extraordinary lengths hauling all this crazy equipment around and not paying attention to the show at all. I mean, <laughs> and, and, and even with the Grateful Dead, people would spend... That was the, half their show, though, yeah, not paying entire, attention to their show. <laughs> entire, well, it was a long show, too. But they would go, they would never even go into the show. They'd be in the parking lot. So were they, I mean, that's like, the, the whole parking lot was like a giant device or a giant screen that wasn't them engaging in the way that maybe the band would have wanted them to engage. So it's, it's a touchy area that requires some restraint and thoughtfulness and humility and these audience members in a way should be able to do whatever they want they're paying good money if they want to film it it doesn't bother me to each of their own though yeah i mean I, I agree with everything you said in my dream world i like the idea that my show would get everyone in a state where they were just all moving around and just connecting in in that way that only a show can produce and I feel like it's a very special feeling to be in a room filled with people watching the same show and having a visceral experience. You know, it's just it's something very memorable and makes you feel very alive. But like you said, I I would, you know, it's hard to say anything too judgmental to it. Yeah. You know, it's like when you go to a movie and they say turn your phones off. I understand that. But it, I feel like if some if they also said don't eat too much popcorn. <laughs> You know, some people get that kind of pleasure out of documenting the show. So. Have you not heard someone? I feel like I've been, I don't remember if I've been told, but people will bring in food and they'll be like, oh, stop eating. <laughs> well, they're <laughs> loud eating? Maybe that's like a thing of the past, though, because now theaters are like, there's this one in, in L.A. 
that uh, have the food that you can lie down and the, and the and the waiters waiters come up i kid you not this was 5 minutes before the end of the movie i forget what i was watching but it was a pretty deep moment and i was like sitting there i was like maybe about to cry and he was like oh, cash or credit sir and i was like what the fuck it's 5 minutes till the end of the movie you have my credit card just charge it well, that, that i thought was a little absurd but <laughs> I hate to be as abrupt, like in this incredible moment, but I do uh, think we have to wrap. Okay. Yo. <laughs> cash cash or credit. credit. Yeah, cash yeah. or credit. I'm wondering. I'm wondering. This is why this is unmoderated. So I'd like to say thank you to these illuminated and illuminating gentlemen, Andrew W.K. and Albert Hammond Jr. for being oh, thank here. Thank you. Thank you. Let's give them a hand. And thank you all for being here for this live recording of the TalkHouse podcast during South by Southwest. Thank you to the Fairmount and thank you to TuneIn for having us. And uh, we'll see you next time. Let's give these guys three hands, please. Andrew, I just wanted to say, I'll talk to you anytime. It's amazing. You're you're amazing. Likewise. Andrew W.K., Albert Hammond Jr., we will applaud three times for you anytime. You are welcome back anytime. Big love to both of you, and congrats on fantastic new records. We'd also like to say a big thank you to TuneIn and to South by Southwest for putting us on their official podcast stage. Listeners, if you enjoyed today's talk, make sure to check out Andrew W.K.'s previous TalkHouse episode with Dan Deacon or Albert Stroke's bandmate Fab Moretti in conversation with David Cross and Gene Gray. Also, be sure to check out our new events page at TalkHouse.com. Yes, posted right now, an event here in New York City that we're putting on with Natalie Prass and Matthew E. White in conversation at The Strand, and one over in London at Rough Trade featuring Proto Martyr and the Raincoats in conversation. Come say hi. Today's episode was recorded by Dutch Worthington and co-produced by Mark Yoshizumi. Shouts to the unofficial mayor of Austin, Johnny Sarkis, who helped coordinate on the ground for us. And to keep up with more of our adventures at South By, head over to iTunes and Stitcher to subscribe to the TalkHouse podcast. That's right. Week after next, we have a twofer episode, a short conversation on all things dancehall between Conscience and Bad Gyal, and a catch-up on the young London indie rock scene with Shame and Goat Girl. Till next time. See you then. See you then.